All right. Well, other than extra, extra large. <laughs> um, but that's getting more and more ordinary. Um, my view of me, if I'm not real careful, I just see, yeah, I'm just normal. I'm not really significant in any way. I'm not sure I make any difference. I don't know if that resonates with anyone. And then I have this. This is where it gets kind of dangerous. Then I start looking at the people around me, and I, and I, I begin to think this. Well, I bet they agree with me. And so my view of others, if I'm not careful, is me thinking about them analyzing me. I don't know if you followed that or not. I might be thinking about them, but what I'm really thinking about is them and what they're thinking about me. And that's all, really. I mean, you know what that is? That is the opposite of this. That is me before you. Because I really don't ever get finished with me in those thought processes. Then that means I don't ever really get to you. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, I get that. I can really kind of put myself in the same, uh, the same position. I can kind of put myself in the, in the same position. Uh, atmosphere is what you're talking about and maybe you guys can agree with that maybe you guys are kind of like us maybe you guys watching uh on online maybe you can connect with that maybe you can follow that that chain of thought um are you anything like us can how do you see the world around you how do we see the world around us so often it's us and then it's them you know me first followed by you. I mean, can you guys, can, can y'all relate to that? I, I know I can definitely relate to what you're talking about. I can, I can connect to that. Um, there's so much in my life that I have to take care of, right? I mean, there's so much that I have to take care of with me. And I hardly have any time at all to worry about the other person. I hardly have any time at all to worry about you guys because I require so much of my attention, you know? I mean, if you're a student in here, this about you. How are other people thinking about you? You have a lot to manage. You, you have to manage the way others think about you. How are other people thinking about you? You have to manage that, right? Some of the, you know, some of the students in here are like, yeah, you have no idea, bro. I, I, I get it. You have to manage the way that other people are thinking about you. Um, you guys, maybe you have to work on the video game skills, right? I mean, because let's face it, now it's not like it was with me and you. I mean, you know, it's not like Super Nintendo or, yeah, well, you're Pong. But it's, it's not like, you know, where you were just, uh, you playing a video game. Now you're playing with everybody, right? It's all connected. You have to, you have to worry about that. You've got to worry about your ball games, right? You've got to worry about uh, the ball game that you're at or that you're attending or the team that you're connected with or not connected with. Um, you know, you're YouTube watching. You've got a lot to focus on. And adults, with the same way. Teenagers, students, they're not alone. I mean, we also have to manage the way other people think about us. At least in our mind we do. We have to think about how other people think about us. Some of us, um, maybe some of you guys have to manage your video games. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that hasn't changed. I, maybe you guys connect with that. You, so for some of you, this statement is going to be like, amen, thank you for saying that. We have to manage our kids' ball games, right? We have to figure out how, are we gonna, how am I going to go to work, get them to the game, Go to the game, attend the game, get them home, get them to practice. I mean, we have to think about that. Um, so we're really not that different from our kids. We work 
in some other things as well. We, we work at uh, weekends at the river, weekends at the lake, overtime. Sometimes you've got to, because you've got to pay for all that stuff, so you've got to work some overtime. Um, mowing the yard, fixing the car, repairing, you know, the honeydew list, whatever it might be, shopping. That's not me, but some of you guys, shopping. Um, replacing things. And all of that, while well, we still have to hold down a full-time job. Yeah, still you know? got to work. Still got to work. With all of those things marching through our minds and through our thoughts every single day, it is so often that we don't have a lot of room left over in our mind and in our thoughts for other people around us. Unless, of course, we're thinking about them and what they're thinking about us. <laughs> or perhaps we're thinking, how can they help us? I need some help in all of this. Whew. That can be tiring. My brain hurts just thinking about everything that we have to think about. But you know, the more that I think about me and mine, the less that I have time and room for God. Now last week we said that is our ego. And when that is happening, we are edging God out of our lives. I can never worship God, really, as long as I'm worshiping me and mine and the opinions of others. But as I learn this skill of turning my back toward my ego and chasing after Jesus and chasing Jesus alone, then I'm worshiping Jesus. And when I'm worshiping Jesus and not anything else and not anyone else, then, as we said last week, my worship is right. And when my worship is right, my relationship with the world around me, that can be right as well, at least according right. to God's well, right. My, my natural view of others, and again, I'm not saying feel like I'm like bearing it all up here right now. It's, it's, I'm not saying that I feel this way all the time, but if left to myself, if, if just left to the way my mind works, my heart operates, and, and just what I know about myself, my natural view of others is this. It's what do they think about me and how can they help me? How can they help me? You know, how can other, uh, the other person, how can you do something to help me? That's If I'm left to myself, that's the way that I think. My natural view of others is, quite frankly, all about me. It, it's, it all revolves around me. Um, but God actually has a very different view on that subject, on that topic, a very, very different view. Now, you say, well, okay, how do you know that? Well, we can know God's view on this topic right here that we're talking about this month. We can know God's view on this topic because Jesus is God. And if we want to know the way that God thinks about something, really all we have to do is look at how Jesus operated in that three-year period that he actually was just like me. He walked around on this earth just like me. He ate food and, and slept and laughed and talked and, and had friends and had deep connections with friends just like me. So if I want to see God's perspective on something, man, just check out the three years of Jesus' time here on this earth. Um, and, and we've got a really good example of God's perspective on you versus me in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, 36. And we're going to read a couple more after that. But we're just going to stop kind of in the middle of verse 36. This is, 
This is what we have in Matthew 9. It says that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. So Jesus was preaching. Jesus is going around and he was fulfilling his job, his mission, his vision that, that he was given. Um, and then it says that Jesus healed every kind of disease and illness. And then in verse 36, something very interesting. It says, when he saw the crowds, and there were crowds. I mean, you can imagine the greatest celebrity of 2020 walking in to Stuttgart, Arkansas. There would be a crowd if, if we know about it. I mean, remember when they filmed the movie Mud? Mm-hmm. And like, there were the Matthew McConaughey sightings, yeah. right? You don't talk yeah. about it. Oh, I saw Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You know, I mean, so uh, multiply that. That was the crowd following, the paparazzi, if you will, that Jesus experienced. So when he saw the crowds, he had, uh, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. The people that Jesus was coming into contact with, much like today, in fact, maybe just like today, the people that Jesus was coming into contact with, they were under heavy oppression. They were suffering from exhaustion. Uh, they were wandering. They were afraid. And again, is this kind of beginning to sound familiar? They lack direction. Yeah. And because of the perspective that Jesus had of these crowds, we have the response. And Cole just read it. It's a one-word response. It says he had compassion. Compassion. Look at that word there, right? It's right beside my stomach. Compassion. Thank you, John. Uh, Compassion. So, that's the word. And I want to take that word for just a moment because that Greek word, it it is so packed with meaning and it's an emotionally powerful word and there's no one single English, English. No comment. We'll talk about that Monday. Yeah, we will talk about that a lot next week. There's no one single English word that can describe that Greek word. Now, we have here the word compassion, but let's talk for just a moment about the depth of meaning of what Jesus and his response, this compassion, what did it mean? It means his heart went out to these people. It it, it is a warm, a compassionate uh, response to some very real needs that Jesus saw. It means not only sympathy with a person's need, but it means that Jesus was having in that moment a practical response to that need. And all of this emotional result that happens as he's watching this and experiencing this, it is is him caring and putting that into action. Wow, what a word that is, and what a response that Jesus has. But wait, there's, there's more. more. So <laughs> compassion, absolutely, that is an unbelievable, and, and hey, you just did a really good job of breaking that word Well, down. English, I mean, is, English is, is a, a tough tricky one. language. All right, we got a good one there. <laughs> uh, but it, it's not just compassion. So there's actually... Uh, There's more to it than that. He continues on in that verse, in verse 36, and he says, uh, it says that the people, the crowds that were pressing in on him and following him, like, you know, some of you followed Matthew McConaughey back in the day, those people, it says that they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And again, Jesus in this passage is talking about people and events and a time that happened 2,000 years ago. But please see the parallels to 2020. The sheep were so scattered. They were so overwhelmed with life. Uh, They were helpless. They were oppressed. That it was going to require Jesus himself, God himself, in fact, God himself to go out and rescue the lost sheep. I mean, wow, what a God we're, we're talking about. So again, the parallels between then and now. In fact, that leads us to kind of our first big point this morning, which is this. When our worship or when my worship is right, we talked about that last week. We, we broke down that, that idea of worship. When my worship is right, God's view of others becomes my view. God's view of others becomes my view because we have already unpacked what my view of others is by myself. It is all about me. You don't matter. But when my worship is on the, with God is right, then God's view of others is my view of others. And Jesus, and again, you just want to say, what's God's view of others? Just look at Jesus. How did Jesus operate on a daily basis? It says that Jesus, he moved with love, compassion for these crowds, And then, something that is just pretty amazing in my opinion. Verses 37 and 38 of this same same Matthew chapter 9. It says, we're going to talk here in just a few moments about what many have called the Great uh, Commission. Kind of what our job is. But, man, this right here, verse 37, Matthew 9, 37. If this verse doesn't... Kind of stir you up a little bit and, you know, just a a, a fuzz about kind of how important what we're talking about and what we're doing here means, what how much it means. I mean, check this out. This is what Jesus says to his disciples after experiencing these crowds and these people that are in need and, and, and he has compassion on them. Then he says to his disciples, he says, the harvest is great, but the workers, they're few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Think about in your life, just in your microcosm, just in your micro view of your life, your day-to-day life, your job, your neighbors, your family, your friends. Nobody else, not the other 7 billion people that live on this planet, just your small existence. And think about the experiences that those people have and the life that they're experiencing and the oppression and the weight and the exhaustion and the suffering, all those things. I mean, Jesus' words, the harvest is great, it was accurate then, it's accurate now. And then he says something that is, at that time, obvious. The workers are few. Well, there's only a handful of them, right? But now, it's still that way. And then pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I mean, up to this point, there had been one. That was Jesus. God himself, he was the worker. He was the sole worker. My dad, uh, this past week, he has been... Uh, working pretty much by himself all week because a couple of the individuals uh, that normally works with him has not been able to work. Uh, And so he has been experiencing working on his own for the week. I would appreciate if at the end of the worship experience this morning, go up to him and ask him how his week has gone. Oh, no. It's been challenging, especially for the fact that for a long time he's been the boss, and so he hasn't been used to having to do that. So he's been having to really get after it, you know, and it's been tough. I mean, 
And that's what Jesus experienced on earth. He was the only one. He was the only one doing this stuff. And then God says to his followers, hey, guys, we're going to need some more help. We got to have some more help. We don't have enough help. There are so many people that are distressed, helpless, lost, that, man, we're going to need more help to get the harvest in before it is ruined. I mean, as, as an agricultural community, we can understand that concept. We've got to have more help so that we can get everything harvested before the harvest is gone, before it's lost. We've got to have more people helping in the harvest. Yeah. And Jesus here is really talking to just this handful of people that he has already called out to follow him. And who were these people? Well, we talked about that in week one. These people he called out were just normal. They were ordinary sinners, <laughs> just like us. But each one did have a very specific, some similar, some different, but a set of life skills that they had developed, a set of talents that they had, and certain abilities. But you know what? They were normal life skills and normal talents and normal abilities. These were not elite, human, Nobel Prize winning, CEO, superstar types. We talked about this in week one. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were just normal guys. In week one, we said, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus called out to them, these normal guys, come and follow me. And he said, I'm going to show you how to fish for people. I mean, Peter was probably illiterate. He probably couldn't even read and write. It's very possible that he had not yeah. had the same schooling that like Matthew had. So Jesus is just talking to ordinary guys with ordinary gifts and talents and abilities. And Jesus is saying here, when he says, come follow me, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. He's saying that he's going to take those ordinary gifts, those ordinary talents and abilities, and he's going to put them to work changing the lives of other people in a supernatural way. And here was their response in verse 20. We talked about it. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. They left their way of life. They left their identity, and they said, okay, we're in. No more information necessary. We're in. They leave with Jesus, and then over the course of the next three and a little bit more, three-plus years, Jesus puts these individuals through an intensive leadership training program. He makes them, in essence his launch team. And he puts them into this, this process of learning who he is, how he sees things, what is his perspective, and he teaches them how to view life like Jesus views life, how to live with the values that Jesus lived with, how to love the world the way Jesus loves the world, all for the purpose of changing the world. And, I mean, I really, this is just me, Maybe you agree. I, I hope you can agree with this statement. I really think that Jesus still says the same thing today. It hasn't changed. That's 2000, this is 2,000-year-old history that we're reading. Interesting, we're still reading it as if it, you know, it, this is 2,000-year-old history. No different than the 2,000-year-old history you would read in a world history textbook. It's still 2,000-year-old history of events that actually happened. But even though they happened 2,000 years ago, they're still so applicable on July 19th, 2020, I think today's the 19th anyway. July 19th, 2020. 
we got to pray and ask God to send out more laborers into the harvest so we don't lose any harvest. Because like Jesus said, it's big. There's a, I still think Jesus' harvest to be had, and there's just not many workers to get it in. I still think Jesus um, says today, come, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Even if you're a school teacher, I'll teach you how to fish for people. Even if you're a construction worker, I can teach you how to fish for people. Even if you're a, 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 a baseball coach, I can teach you how to fish for people. I believe God still today uses very normal personalities. Because let's face it, I'm pretty typical. I'm a pretty normal person. I, I, there's nothing special here. You agree? You on the same oh, boat? Oh, yeah. You're I'm special. not talking about me. I'm talking about you. Me. Very. Uh, Thank very... you. Normal, very average, typical. ordinary. Except I mean, you know the weight. The weight thing. I, I carry that. But we all have ordinary. It's a burden talent. I carry. You're burden carrying I it carry. so well. We we're normal people with normal personalities and normal talents yeah. and ordinary abilities. But Jesus teaches us how to fish, how he fished. Yeah, that's a cool thought. You know, I mean, if you've never fished, if you don't know how to fish, and somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey," Here's how you fish. I remember there was one time we went to Heber Springs, Arkansas, and we were going to trout fish. Never trout fished in our life. Never fly fished. Never done any of that stuff. I mean, I'm a crappie fisherman, and that's it. I can catfish. I mean, bass fish all that good. And we were going to try to catch trout. Well, that went over very well. But we had this guy come up to us. He was actually from around here, and he said, hey, let me show you what to do. And he showed us how to do it. And do you know we actually started catching trout? It was amazing. It's the same thing. I don't know how to fish for people, but Jesus does. And you say, okay, how, how does he do it? How does he teach people to fish, fish for people? Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39. He lays it out there. This is what it says. We read some of this last week. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he goes on, like we said last week, we're going to go on. And he even takes it further, how to fish people yeah and so right here what Cole just read to us Jesus gives us the number one value the top absolutely top priority the first place in our lives Jesus says belongs to God do you want to know how Jesus fishes for people first he loves God and that's true for us today absolutely true for us today when we get our worship right then we can plan on getting the next part right which jesus goes on to tell us in verse 39 he says a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself so he gives us the the top two priorities jesus says first love god Next, right under that, if you love God correctly, then the next one's going to flow from that. Next, love others. So how does Jesus fish for people? That's it. First, he loves God. And second, he loves people. And Jesus took three years to teach people like Matthew and people like John and James and Peter. To, he took three years to teach them how to love God and how to love others. And that's pretty much it. You want to know how to catch fish? You want to know how to catch people? Love God, love others. And here's how you do it. He, in fact, there, there's, a, there's a timeline 
in fact, if we look at it like a timeline, I love timelines. Uh, I was that guy, I was that nerd in school that when there was a timeline or something like that that popped up in the textbook, I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna, I like that. Um, whether it was on the test or not. <laughs> but there's this timeline. Jesus calls them out. We've, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus called them, called them out. He says, hey, y'all come on and follow me. He calls them out. Then he trains them. It takes about three, three plus years. He trains them. Trains them how to fish for people. Love God, love others. That's simple. Then Jesus dies. He dies for the sins of the world. Three days later, Jesus walks out of the grave, and he's alive. And it's like, okay, if we didn't believe all that stuff before, I'm going to go with this guy. He just came back to life. This, we're going to follow this guy. And then Jesus gives them a little bit more training, about 40 days. There's a 40-day period from the time that he came out of the tomb until he ascended into heaven. There's a 40-day period that he kind of gives them a little bit more information. And so now... About three years and 40 days after he called them to follow, Jesus says, okay, you're out. Go. Go do it. He sends them out. It's like graduation day, you know, which, or maybe in 2020, graduation three months. You know, it's, it's just a long process <laughs> of graduating that, that this has been. But he sends them out. He says, you're ready. You've got everything that you need. You know how to do it. You know how to fish for people because the harvest is great and the workers are few. He sends them out. And that's basically what he, said, uh, what he tells them and what he's telling us in Matthew chapter 28. I mentioned the Great Commission a few minutes ago. This is it. Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. These were the last, that we know of, the last words that Jesus spoke on earth. This is it. After this, he's gone, and he won't be back for a while, which I'm sure one day we'll talk about up here. Yeah. But he's gone. The last words he says, the last... I mean, you think about it. If you know it's going to be your last words, if you know this is it, this is the last thing I get to tell them, right? I mean, if you're a parent and, and the kid is fixing to go and he's got, got the car, you know, he's 16, he's got the car, what's the last thing you're going to tell them? It's the most important thing. And that's what we have here. Jesus' last words, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to his disciples or told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So he kind of like validates himself. He says, I, I'm the boss. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, we're going to do next Sunday. Yeah. How cool. You know, I forgot to mention that We're going to do that next Sunday, which if, if you are ready, yes. if, that, if you're ready for that verse 19 step to be a part of that, let us Just know. Let us know on let the connection know. card. Let us know some information. Or tell us baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. And that's it. And then Jesus like drops the mic, he's out. You know, he's gone. The last words that Jesus says right there, and Jesus is still calling us out. That happened 2,000 years ago, but it has continued on of this historical timeline. We're still doing that. We're still experiencing that. We are still training uh, he is still training us to view people the way he does. Um, and he's still sending us out today. That's what Stuttgart Harvest Church was 10 years ago. It was us being sent out. It's what we are going to do in Malvern, sending out. It's what we're still doing today, right. sending out. Jesus trained them up, and he's still training us up today. And that training process, it, it's, man, it's a process. It's, it's in fact... We might say that the training process is learning the ongoing investment of time into someone's life. You know, learn the ongoing investment of time in someone's life. I mean, it, it takes time to fish for people. It's not just an all-of-a-sudden thing that happens. 
I mean, again, we're in this agricultural community, so we can probably relate to soil prep, right? I mean, if you're a farmer or you're a gardener or whatever, you know you've got to get the soil right. Fishing for people is the same way. You've got to make sure that you plant the seed into good soil, right? What you've been doing with the pumpkins. Yeah, with the pumpkins back here. We had to get the soil right. We had to work it. We, we, we put some uh, pre-emergent chemical down. We put some fertilizer out. And then once we knew the soil was good, we, we did some tests to make sure that it was good ground that was going to grow pumpkins. We planted the seed. And then once we planted the seed, the seed grew, but it didn't, it didn't grow by itself. We've got to water it. We've got to fertilize it. We've got to spray it when it needs to be sprayed. We have to do the things that are necessary. This process of fishing for people, no different. You've got to plant the seed, but then you've got to water it. Then you've got to take care of it. And then you get to the point where you get to harvest it. You get to harvest time. And you're going to harvest many times over that one seed that you planted. I mean... This process of fishing for people that Jesus has commanded all of us to do as followers of him, it is an, the ongoing investment of time into somebody's life. Yeah, and there's something else that Jesus infused into that training, that teaching, um, getting these people ready to, to send them out. Um, and that is this. He, he taught them how they could learn how to provide what was needed to help someone advance to that very next step in following Jesus. Now, that's a big statement with really a lot of information, but they were advancing that relationship with people who were not connected to Jesus, and in advancing that relationship, they were discovering, here's a possible next step that could help get them closer. Now, before we go further, I've asked four people to go out here and grab a sign. If y'all would go grab those right now, just one for each of you, and bring it back to your seat, and then we'll call for one of those at a time. Thank y'all for doing that. All right, so they're learning how to advance these relationships, how to help them understand, here's the next step, here's the next step. Is it fair for me to make this statement? Yeah. So if, if there's any cloudy muddiness that, that we're not clearly coming across what it is we're trying to do it's this this is who we are yeah this is who Stuttgart Harvest Church is yeah. this is it yeah it really is this is our goal this is what we're trying to do as we follow Jesus as he's called us and he's sending us out like he sent the disciples out all right so we have taken all of that that Jesus has called us to do, and we have tried to put it into a statement that says, this is Stuttgart Harvest Church, this is who we are. And I want to read that statement to you. It's our vision of who God has said, this is who you are, Stuttgart Harvest Church. We're simply helping people, helping lives change by doing this, by loving the Father, family, and friends. And when we do that, that makes Jesus smile. And guess what? We want to make Jesus smile. Now, last week, we talked about the very first part. So McKinley has this on the screen. So we're helping lives change. And that first part there says, by loving the Father. We talked about that last week. Loving the Father. So who has the worship sign? Bring that up here to me. And I will grab that. Thank you, John. Thank you, sir, very much. All right. All right. Here's what we talked about last week. Let me see it. Yeah, thank you, Cole, just for a moment, and then we'll set it down. 
So lean it forward just a little bit to get it out of the light. There we go. Worship. McKinley, will you go ahead and put that back up on the screen for me? I'm going to use that. We're helping lives change, all right? We're helping lives change by loving the Father. Now, that has everything to do with that number one value that Jesus said. This is it. This is our top value, number one. Number one, if we get this right, if we've got to get this right, we've got to worship Jesus and Jesus alone with our lives. Now, you might say, but how do, how do I know if I'm worshiping right? That's a great question. And I think Cole came up with this statement, and I really think it's accurate. I know that I'm worshiping Jesus alone when everything that I have is at God's disposal. That's my time. That's my money. Those are my relationships that I have, all the stuff I have accumulated in life. That even includes my emotional margin. Everything I have, when it is at God's disposal, then I am worshiping right. Now this is what we called our level one Number one value, worship. Now our next values, we're going to call those level two values because they're going to fall under this number one value. Our level two values are going to be involving, McKinley, thank you for leaving this up here so long because I need it. Level one is loving the Father. Level two values are all about loving other people. And that's what Jesus said, love the Father and love others. So our level two values are all about loving other people. Um, they're all about, and I'm going to give you the first one here, Whoever who has the, the acceptance sign? Let me have that. I'm just going to lay this down right there if I can. Thank you, Hunter. All right, so here's, here's acceptance, all right? This is our first level two value. And acceptance is really, our level two values, they're all about loving others, they're all about us advancing our relationships with other people. Uh, acceptance really talks about and, and, uh, this one-on-one -on -one investment that we want to make into the lives of the people around us who are searching. That's what acceptance is all about. Jesus looked around him, and Jesus saw exhausted, oppressed, helpless, hurting people who were not connected with him. The word we use for that is they were lost. They were wondering. Now, because we are, if our worship is right, we're beginning to view other people the way Jesus views other people, and that means we, if we're going to view them like Jesus viewed them, then, because they're hurting, and we've been there, because they're helpless, and we've been there, because they're exhausted, we've been there, we're not going to throw rocks at those people and judge them and damage them and hurt them. No, 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 no. We are going to throw lifelines to those people because we're going to view them like Jesus viewed them. And do you know what that means when we do that and we learn how to do that more and more and more? It means we view them, you, before 
me. You before me. You know what the result of that is? If I consistently view them as you before me, the outcome of that is going to be trust. They're going to learn and grow to trust me. But if I view them my natural way, which is me before you, that's self-serving. And there is no trust there. It's going to destroy trust. In Matthew chapter 4, we're not going to go there on the screen, but in Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus calls uh, these first followers of his, these first disciples, he begins to show them, really pretty quickly, how to fish for people. And the result, the crowds start following. And the crowd starts out small at first, and the crowds grow, and they grow, and they grow huge. Because Jesus is showing these new disciples of his, he's showing them how to accept other people. How to love those people the way Jesus loves them. And people keep showing up. They keep coming more and more. And you know, not only are they showing up, but this is amazing to me. They are not just showing up, but they are bringing other people with them. People who are hurting and people who are very vulnerable. Wow. It's all because Jesus accepts them and Jesus invests time into them and their lives. And that is Jesus loving them. And they began to trust Him because of that. Yeah, and, and, and that, word, that word trust, uh, that's, man, that's big. Trust, it can only happen. It does only happen from loving hearts that are committed to serving and supporting the hurting lives that happen to be around them. Again, we're not talking about the seven billion. We're just talking about our world, our experience, our neighbors, co-workers. That's who we're talking about. And as we learn to serve and to support those people, man, trust happens. As we keep our promises, you know, as we keep our promises, as we are a person that is found to be trustworthy, as we express encouragement, as we express appreciation. It's amazing, but trust, trust follows. Trust is manifested. And that's all acceptance is. That's all about acceptance. Regardless of that person's background or history or where they're, we just accept them. We just, we just accept them to where they are, who they are, and they begin to trust. Because we have exhibited those behaviors that Jesus himself exhibited during his three-plus-year ministry here on earth. Because that's how Jesus fished, and that's what he's called me to do as one of his followers. And, and for us, let's face it, we are not saying in any way, shape, form, or fashion that we're going to do that perfectly. Far from it, because we're, we're, we're humans. We're not perfect like Jesus was. We, we, we have a few extra steps that we have to uh, take along in this process because we're going to blow it. We are, we are going to blow it. I am going to blow it. We already have. We already have. And we're going to do and it we're again. we're going to do it again. And no yeah. matter how well we feel like we're, we've got that worship aspect down, 
and that accepting that aspect down to those, uh, these other core values that we're going to talk about, we're still going to blow it. We're going to blow it. And when we blow it with that person that we've been trying to accept and we've been trying to throw lifelines to and that we actually maybe feel like we are making a connection, then that extra step for us involves repentance. And it involves, uh, it involves apologies. It, it involves reconciliation and restoration because you guys know exactly what I'm going to say. Trust is fragile. I mean, how many times have you said to your kids, you know, once you lie to me one time, man, it takes a long time to get that trust built back up. Trust is a fragile thing. Once it's polluted, it's going to take a long time for it to be restored. Um, it can be done. You have experienced it in your own life. I mean, you have experienced trust being restored. But it's tough, man. It takes time. It takes uh, the power of our growing and improving in that love. It, 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 it's a process. So do we want to know what the love of Jesus really looks like? I mean, really kind of the bare bones of what Jesus' love really looks like, the kind of love that he really wants me to develop, I would encourage you, we're not going to put it up on the screen right now, we're not going to put it on the screen uh, this morning, but I would encourage you this week at some time as part of your personal growth, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first seven verses. And as you read that, that is all about acceptance, Jesus style. It really is. Uh, I, you know, so for you and I, what that looks like is you before me. That's what it is. And so here's, here's a question. How am I going to know if I'm accepting others the way Jesus accepted them? Well, I think it's going to happen. Here's one way we'll know. This is a big one. Hang on. When, this is a real big yeah, one. Yeah, when people who have hurt me or even just people who don't agree with me when I'm ready to see them and be around them and love them, that's when I know. That's a big one. Oh, How will I know that I'm accepting others the way Jesus accepts them? Accepts I, love this, them? I love this statement you've got right here. It's when a person comes in, maybe even to this building or your building at work. When a person comes in, and it's that person that nobody thinks will ever come into like a church building. But when they do, other people, they might turn their heads and look at them. But you or I, we turn around and go to them. That's how we know we're accepting others the way Jesus accepts them. Here's another one. How do I know when I'm accepting others the way Jesus accepts them? When I am moved by love and compassion to an ongoing investment of time into the life of someone who other people would rather just judge. I mean, these, this is, you say, what do we want Stuttgart Harvest Church to be filled with? That. Those are the yeah. people that we want to lock arms with and, and go for it. Because that's the way Jesus loved. That's the way Jesus fished. Um, and can I add to that, Cole? Of course. It's not, those, that's not any most, I mean, some might have more than others, but it's not our natural <laughs> response. That means in order for us to get to this place where we're accepting others to that level, we have first got our worship right. Mm -hmm. And that leads us again. We're talking this morning about these level two values. We talked about acceptance. 
uh, which is big. That's, in fact, that is the number one if we're going priority. That's the number one level two value. It has to start with acceptance because we've got to earn trust before we ever have an opportunity to truly make an impact. We've got to prepare that soil. And then our next level two value, um, remembering that all of our level two values are about loving others and advancing relationships. Our next level two value is, and if you have this one, come on up, it's service. So who is our service value person? Uh-oh. Here, here it comes. I see. Here we go. All right, I'm Ben. I'll grab it go. for you. I'll you get it, it for you. Service. Thank you, Ben. Service. So service for us. We serve to get better. In the midst of a culture where people are serving themselves first, second, third, Fourth, and then if there's any space remaining at the end of the week, the end of the money, the end of the time, the end of the emotional uh, bandwidth that we have left in a culture where it's all about me, 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 we want to be a church that serves others. We want to be a church that is pushing uh, and to serve the way that Jesus served. Now, again, that's not natural. That's not natural. In and of ourselves, that is not the way we are going to respond. But as we um, are in the midst of this culture where people are serving themselves more and more and pushing Jesus and His church lower and lower and lower and lower on the priority scale of importance, we want to be the church that flips the script. Jesus, God Himself, He came to serve. He came to serve. His entire life on this earth was about serving. I mean, think about that. God's experience on earth was service. The life of God as Jesus on earth. I mean, that's, that's heavy. That is big. And so that means for me, when I avoid serving in the church, when I quit, I served a while, but I quit. I quit serving in the church. If I complain about serving in and through the church, it's a sign that my worship is not right. It's a sign that I've begun to live me before you. Because Jesus, God himself, when he came to this earth, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, and this this is a quote, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, that's another phrase for Jesus, for God, even the Son of Man came here not to be served. If anyone deserved to be served, it was God. He said, I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Service is all about you before me. And if we're going to view the world around us the way that Jesus viewed the world around him, that that has to be me. And we're not just talking about serving in church. We're not just talking about that. Now, that is a big element of what we're talking about. We're talking about service in our everyday life and everybody that we come into contact and all of that soil that we have prepared and planting those seeds, that's a big part of it. I'll know, say, how do you know if you're serving the way Jesus would serve How do we know? I I think a a good thought would be, I know that I'm serving like Jesus served when I'm willing to go way outside of my comfort zone to serve someone else. I mean, let's face it. For those of you that participated, that gas station blitz was not comfortable. 
It was weird. That was weird, man. But serving like Jesus serves means that I'm willing to do that. If that's what it takes and that's what I've got to do, okay, I don't like it. But doggone it, I'll do it. If, if I'm willing to do something that might humiliate me, make me look foolish, you know, it has to humble me, then, hey, I, okay, I'm willing to do it. I'm, I'm serving like Jesus would. I mean, let's face it, Jesus talked to some people that really for the culture of the day that he was even having a conversation with those people would have been a humiliating Jewish experience. He did that. Oh, and even just the humiliation of ultimately the cross. Yeah, the I cross. mean, wow. Completely naked on yeah. the cross for the uh. whole world to see. I mean, that that is a service that was humiliating. Yeah. When I'm willing to try something, fail at it, and then even try, try again, when I'm willing to do that, I'm just willing to do anything that is necessary to serve God's creation as part of this core value that we're talking about yeah. here at Stuttgart Harvest okay. Church. Okay, so who has the next sign for us? I'm guessing that's Gary. I think it's community. Yes, here, here he comes. Thank you. So, this, uh, again, we're still talking about level two. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. We're still talking about level two values at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And all the level two values are about loving others and advancing our relationships with other people the way Jesus did. And so here's the last level two value, and that is community. Community. And for us, that always means in the way we describe it and the way we present it for us, community always means that it's saying this, I if I'm in community, I will always be involved in a small group. And you're probably sitting there like, okay, wait a second. How can you guys make the correlation, the connection between uh, being a follower of Jesus and being a part of these level two values, these core elements of Stuttgart Harvest Church? How can you show me that Jesus shared that value? He was a part of a small group. I, I actually can't. Because if we look at uh, the... All of the first-hand accounts of the life of Jesus uh, on this earth, the, the three-plus years of his ministry, the 30-some-odd uh, years of his life, probably maybe around 33 years of his life, if we look at the four bi uh, uh, biographical accounts, the first-hand primary source accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the Gospels, if we look at those examples of Jesus' life, you will see unequivocally Jesus made it an absolute priority to spend a quantity, a, a, a specific quantity, a, a, a large quantity of his quality time with his small group. You say, his small group? What are you talking about? He called out, well, he called out 12 and ended up being 11. He called out 12 he had some, people. Uh... He had some personnel problems. He had some personnel problems at the end, but uh, <laughs> he called out twelve individuals plus a few more, and that's who he hung out with. That's who he grew with. That's who he recharged with. That's who he experienced life with. Was with his small group. I mean, it's a fact. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first-hand primary accounts tell us Jesus. He spent a lot of time with crowds. He couldn't help it. But when he left the crowd, he always got back in the middle of that small group of friends and people that were like-minded as him. And so how do we know that we're in community the way that Jesus would be in community? When I make 
a small group, a community experience like a small group, a priority over all of the other things that I have going on in my life, that's when I know I'm in a community the way Jesus was because that's what Jesus did. When I say not, you know what, I'd love to be a part of a small group, but doggone, I'm so busy. Monday nights are for this, and Tuesday nights are for that, and Wednesday nights are for that, and Thursday nights are my me time, you know, whatever the case may be. When we're saying instead, my me time may have to go to another night of the week because I've got to be a part of the small group. When we do that, that's when we're in community like Jesus was in community. Um, it's, a, uh, it's in a small group that we see an up-close-and-personal Jesus. That's where we really get to see Jesus as an intimate, uh, in his in, in, in intimate moments. Uh, when he's teaching his small group to live all of these one another's that we see in Scripture, you know, he, he's really teaching them in that three plus year training experience. That's when we see it. It's in that small group environment, as where he's teaching in those one another's through living an abundance, living in an abundance of love and an abundance of grace and an abundance of forgiveness toward people who hurt him. Even killed him, eventually. That's when we see Jesus in his community. I know I'm in a, in a community, uh, I'm in community like Jesus, when I have an abundance of love, I have an abundance of grace, I have an abundance of forgiveness for people who have irritated me and hurt me even inside of my small group. Yeah, and that, all these level two values that we've talked about this morning, those are all, all of them, advancing relationships like Jesus did. And it all involves you before me. That's the reality. And we're bringing this in for a landing right now. And so I would like you to do something we did last week. And I'm going to say a phrase. I would like you to repeat that phrase after me. This is our vision. Would you say it with me after me? I'm going to do a line at a time. We're helping lives change. Say that. Great. By loving the father, family, and friends. That makes Jesus smile, and we want to make Jesus smile. Thank you so much. That one makes me smile, that last line. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> loving the father. Let's leave that up for just a moment, McKinley. Loving the father. We talked about that, our number one top value at Stuttgart Harvest Church. It is who we are. We want to worship God and God alone. We want Him to have first place in our lives because when our worship is right, when we're loving the Father right, then we can get the rest right. All the level two values, we can get those right next. So the, 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 we say we're loving the Father, and now we're going to be talking about loving others, so that's starting here with the family. You know, we cannot love others appropriately until we love God, our Father, supremely. And that's because we love others best. Our family and our friends, we love them best when we love God the most. So what is this loving family? What we mean by that is our community, our church family. And we express that best in small groups. That's what that means, loving the Father and then loving family in small groups. And then what does this mean to love our friends here? Just talking about our best friends, people we know. Well, here's what we mean by friends. Let me be very clear. 
By friends, we mean all the searching souls around us, all of them. We want to love them the way Jesus did. How did he love them? He accepted them, built that trust with them honestly. So that's loving friends, those all the people around us who are searching for that peace, searching for something. And we happen to know they're actually searching for Jesus. And a big way that we serve them and a big way that we serve our church family is by serving. And that's that other level two value. We love them by serving. Now that brings us to our next step today. Let's go love these people who are all around us. Now last week we gave you a big challenge. We gave you a challenge to take the cards that are in your cup holder where you're sit, sitting. And if you're sitting in, in the back in another area, go to a, a chair where nobody is sitting and grab those cards. Take them with you today. Here's our challenge today. Will you take one of these invite cards and, and, and it says you matter just because you matter. So it's kind of a just because thing. We're going to find a way to just kind of give them a random act of kindness and love and the information they need will be attached to that random act of kindness and love as you hand them this. So let me give you four ideas. Just choose one, maybe. And you can do that thing, you know, several times this week. Just maybe choose one. Last week was a gas station blitz. This week, we're talking about a small store blitz. Small store. Not talking about a big old Walmart. We're talking about a small store so, and let me give you a hint. If you will get uh, some clear tape, like Scotch tape, that's the brand you know I grew up with. If you'll get some clear tape, so you can attach something to this card. So here's here's here are a few ideas. Maybe go into that small store and buy five little things, maybe five little candy items, five little snack items or something, and attach a card to each one with some of that tape. And then maybe, if it's a small store, they're likely to do this, ask the person at the register, hey, I just bought these, because they saw, because you, you paid them for them, and then say, hey, can I leave this here with you? Would you just hand one of these uh, out to the next five people who come through your checkout lane? Yeah. Well, you just hand it. They won't do that at Walmart, but they might do it in a small, locally owned store. I bet they will. That's one idea. Or you can go into that store and buy several little items, similar items to that, and you can buy them, and you can immediately take an invite card and that item and hand it to the next three or four people in line behind you. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Make sure you buy them from that store. <laughs> and here's another idea. You might even attach just a dollar bill. You know dollar bills are hard to come by right now? You could maybe just attach a dollar bill to one of these, and as someone is walking into the Dollar Tree or the Dollar General Family Dollar or another locally owned store, and just as someone's walking in, just say, hey, hey, go get a snack on us as you go in, and just hand it to them. That's an idea. Here's another one. This, maybe you get some little uh, individually sealed little candy, kind of like some of the stuff you get um, if your kids go trick-or-treating, something like that. Attach it to one of these cards and just hand it to some people who are going to their car in the parking lot and just say, hey, have a great day. 
May God bless you. Will you join us this week and just go out there to some small stores? I'd love it if they were locally owned. That'd be pretty awesome. Just some small stores and go share some love and kindness and acceptance with other people. It is great practice for us to step outside of ourselves and just begin to prove that we're trying to live life, you before me. Would you join us in that? Oh, I hope you will. Now, I would be honored if you would join me in a prayer to our Heavenly Father. God, we want to help lives change by simply loving you, Father, and then loving our church family and loving our searching friends around us. And that makes you smile when we live our lives that way, and we want to make you smile, Jesus. And when our worship is right, we can get the rest right, because we can love other people appropriately when we love you supremely, God. We will love others best when we love you the most, Jesus, so we ask you to help us as we love other people. Jesus, we offer our lives to you. Many of us are choosing right now this moment to follow you for the rest of our days, and we are choosing to answer your call as you send us out. God, point, may we point this searching and hurting world to you and you alone, Jesus. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.